Hello and welcome to the 21st episode of the New York Film Academy Hour. I'm so excited today because we have an amazing guest. His fingerprints are all over film history. And if you've seen Jurassic Park, Beetlejuice, Ghostbusters, you know his work. Stay tuned to find out more. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. Hello! It's just me today because Pega is out. Um, we wish her well. She'll be back soon. She's vacationing, enjoying the sun and fun. Um, today, we have a very special guest. His name is Craig Caton. It rhymes with Satan. That's how I'm remembering <laughs> it today. Uh, he is the New York Film Academy Chair of Animation and Visual Effects. And as I said earlier, his fingerprints are all over Hollywood classics, to name a few. Jurassic Park, Tangled, Apollo 13, Fright Night, Beetlejuice, Tremors, Batman Returns, Ghostbusters, Meet the Robinsons, one of my favorite, most underrated movies ever, Interview wow. with the Vampire, Big Trouble in Little China, Predator 2, Shark Tale, Edward Scissorhands, and Terminator 2, Judgment Day. He's worked all over the effects departments, including special effects, visual effects, character design, and even puppeteering. He's here today to talk to us about his amazing career. Thank you so much for being with us today, Craig. Oh, well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Yeah. You're one of those, those fellows that I pass all the time. You've got Batman on your tags for work. We That's talk right. about it. Uh, and then someone was like, see, the Batman symbol, just always prepared. Uh, and then someone's like, you know, Craig's done everything. And I said, I, I don't know that Craig has done everything. Uh, and they filled me in and I was like, oh, we have to bring him in. We have to talk to him about his amazing career. I want to check out your reel, because I feel like I could talk about this forever, but your reel just, it shows the genius. Let's check it out. Ah! For those of you listening just on audio, it's a Jurassic Park raptor scene in the kitchen. Tearing people apart. We've got T2, he's got the hole blown in his face. Oh my god, so cool. Groundbreaking at the time for those of you who probably weren't alive because you guys are young. It was amazing. Predator 2! We're looking at the jaws, the mandibles covered in slime. Batman returns with our penguin <laughs> engineer to taking flight. It's just great. Ghostbusters and Slimer, who was everyone's favorite, because let's be real about it, it's Slimer. <laughs> the Freaky Ghosts, they did a really fun job reanimating in the new one. The guy blows up in Big Trouble in Little China. That's Craig! <laughs> Tremors! Giant earwig-looking things bursting from the sand. What a gross movie, but so cool! <laughs> And of course, the original Fright Night, which I like the remake, but don't sleep on the original. It is great. Full of classic Hollywood horror scenes. Flaming skeletons. I've already did Poltergeist 2 as well. <laughs> Some of these amazing, creepy alien, otherworldly things. The best scene in Beetlejuice, don't at me. It's just amazing. Dinner scene, shrimp hands, it's wonderful. Holy cow, Craig. Okay, <laughs> let me compose myself. Okay, so we always start with the exact same question. Okay. And that question is, when did you first know you were in love with movies? 
Oh, when I was about seven or eight years old and I saw the original Planet of the Apes. Yes! Okay, so my favorite thing about this show is that when I ask this question, 99.9% of times everyone has a horror film. I like that you have a sci-fi horror film. Uh-huh. Um, because that is where I fell in love with the movies. Right. I started, my dad's a pure like sci-fi junkie. That's where we start. Okay, so take me there. Planet of the Apes. What's happening in your mind? Uh, well, I, I saw Planet of the Apes and I, and I was just blown away by the, the makeups. And 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 I, after I saw the movie, the only thing I could think of was, and this is kind of goofy, was <laughs> like I kept saying to myself, hey, I want to be a monkey too. Not really <laughs> thinking that full thing through. Um, so I lived on a farm up in Washington state and, and so I started, um, started going to the library and reading whatever I could. And, and, and finally I, I found this, uh, in a, in a magazine called famous monsters of Filmland, where a lot of, a lot of us, uh, people in the eighties got our start by reading this magazine. Um, in the back of the magazine was an ad for a, a makeup monster manual by the legendary Dick Smith. Wow. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And for so for two dollars and fifty cents you could <laughs> you could get this. And so I, I did. I, I I got a copy of that. And and then over like between the, the fifth grade and, and the sixth and the seventh grade, all I did was try to make Planet of the Apes makeups. And yes. and what I did is I went out to the corral and I had a horse named Eagle and I trimmed his mane so I could use the mane for my Planet of the Apes hair. And surprisingly enough, my dad didn't get really mad for, for doing that. But, but yeah, a couple, like by by the like my first one was all was plaster. Uh, I mean, it was a paper mache. Wow. And then finally, I figured out, oh, they're using this stuff called foam latex, and so I saved up a bunch of money because when you're 11 years old, seventy dollars for a foam latex kit's quite a bit yeah sent that away started doing it and finally a couple of years later i had perfected a planet of the apes makeup uh, but by that time i was so um and and i was applying it to myself so i i was and it was like wow when you put these makeups on you become a different character and 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 because you're kind of in disguise or something, it gives you this great freedom to explore and become something entirely different. And, and so by that time, I was hooked. Um, so um, from the sixth grade on out, all I wanted to do was come down to Hollywood and and make monster movies. Okay, so Planet of the Apes, you come obsessive about doing the makeup and putting everything in. When do you start taking that into a career? When do you start, you know... Uh, working on sets are you go to school first are you diving in straight are you making your own movies well well what it was was um there there were no schools back then for it or anything like that and and there wasn't even computers so (laughs) (laughs) not yet um and and uh i was in college and and like i said um i had i had found this book by dick smith this this make this monster makeup manual and I was looking through this this other book in the library called The Who's Who of America. 
which was a popular thing back then. And there, there inside Who's Who of America was Dick Smith's address and phone number. Oh, what? Because because he was like one of the the big wigs of of makeup industry, the makeup effects industry and stuff. And, and um, wow. so I grabbed a couple of photographs and I wrote him a letter. And I sent him this letter saying, you know, hey, I really like your stuff. You know, thank you for your inspiration and in in making this manual. And a week later, I get a phone call uh, in Portland, Oregon. He was on the East Coast in New York. And he he tells me, and I thought it was a prank call. I thought it was sure. my college roommates pranking me, right? Hey, we're going to let's punk Craig with the dick call. <laughs> and, um, but no, it was Dick Smith. And he said what he wanted me to do was... Um, to uh he gave me like six different makeups like an old age makeup and and some other like a like a disfigured makeup and a special effects makeup and some other stuff and he said he wanted me to to do those makeups and then take pictures of them and then send those pictures to him along with a blank audio cassette and and a page of questions and then he would um critique the makeups on tape and then he would answer all my questions on the tape as well wow but the thing was is he would go off on these amazingly great tangents what um so he'd be he'd be back this is back in the late late 80s and he was developing this brand new um uh paint formula that he called pax p-a-x that was made for like doing rubber monsters and and so he would be answering my questions, and all of a sudden he would just veer off. Hey, I'm working on this new stuff called Pax Paint, and here's the formula, and here's how you make it. And all of a sudden I have his formula, and I'm doing this stuff before, you know, 90% of the people here in Los Angeles are even doing it. So what I did was, you know, that we this went on for about a year. And then at one point... Um, we're talking on the phone and he says he sees no reason for me not to come down to California from Portland, Oregon and, 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 uh, and give it a go. So I come down here and Dick introduced me to like the three big people of special effects makeup of that time, which, which at the time was Rick Baker and Stan Winston and a guy named Tom Berman. Good Lord. And so, yeah, so it was great. He gave me these introductions and after moving down here, um, uh, about two weeks later, I had a job uh, working at a company here in the Valley called Makeup Effects Labs. And it was on a, a little uh, Charlie Band 3D movie called um, Metal Storm, The Destruction of Jared Sin. <laughs> and so we were, you know, that was my first movie working on, on, on stuff like that. But that's that's how I got into the business was was through through Dick Smith, you know, through like a like a mentorship. This is thing. like a fairy tale. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It was like the eighties was like the golden years for for all of us <laughs> and that that stuff. So that know. is incredible. You so. met all the greats. Uh, started right away. Okay, so where where do you start in the industry? Are you starting as an assistant? Are you what, what is your <clears throat> position? What's your role? Well, here's what I did for the first two weeks. I wasn't even paid. I was sweeping and organizing the shop. But there was this really great diabolical plan involved with that because they said, hey, Craig, why don't you just like reorganize the shop and put things where you think they should be and stuff like that. Well, two weeks later, I was the only person in the shop who knew where everything was. Because oh. I reorganized everything. <laughs> That's brilliant. And so 
all of a sudden I became like this uh, indispensable person at that shop because, hey, we, we need toothpaste or toothpicks or whatever. And like, oh, they're over here. Oh, thank you. I want to take and... a moment and pause for future students here. A, this is definitely a fairy tale story to rise and probably will not happen for you. And two, <laughs> make yourself indispensable by switching where everything is. And right. stick around. That's incredible. If you're the only person who knows, they can't get rid of you. It's true. <laughs> Magnificent. Okay. So how do you so you're you're organizing? When do they start letting you put the makeup on the people? Well, um, about two weeks into it, um, they had been working on uh that movie, Metal Storm, the destruction of Jared Sin, and the movie had um wrapped up filming. Uh, but they were coming back to do pickup shots, right? And so they wanted to add um, a couple of scenes where they had these like little sand monsters that come out of the ground and bite people and stuff. And they didn't have those completely yet. They weren't. They were. They were sculpted and molded, but they hadn't been fabricated. And so that was that was my first job. Was they you know they gave me like some uh, a skin of this creature and his jaw, and they said here make this a monster. And, and a puppet, and so I—that was like one of my first puppets. Was putting that together and building it. So I want to take a moment to talk about puppets. You're our first puppeteer on the show. I'm endlessly fascinated by puppets. I think they're amazing. I'm currently working on a story where we're going to shoot most of it with puppets. So I want to ask you: When did when did puppets come into play for you? Was it? You know, they asked you to, and you're like, I need to figure this out. Or had you already been experimenting with puppeteering? Um, I had been experimenting with it because. What I was finding was that uh, I had done tons and tons of makeup effects on people's faces, you know, turning them into aliens and whatever. And, and all of a sudden I was finding myself, I was finding the human face so limited because, mm. you know, you're always trapped with the, you know, you have two eyes and a nose and a mouth and you kind of have to pay attention to that stuff. And I wanted to break away from that. So I started doing puppets so I could, so I could build stuff that didn't have to rely on human anatomy uh, and that's that. So I'd already built like a, uh, uh, I'd built like a little werewolf puppet, and I'd built uh, it was kind of like a, an eel puppet. So it's kind of like an underwater cool. eel puppet that I had built, and and so that was kind of how how that that got started. So outside of maybe Jim Henson and some larger Broadway productions, you probably have some of the most well known puppets, either operating or helping, put it having a hand in creating. Yeah. Um, I guess well, we'll just start with Beetlejuice because it's one of my favorite okay. movies, and that scene is one of my favorite scenes of all times. Um, if you haven't seen Beetlejuice, just pause here and go watch it. It's like the most hilarious film maybe of all time. Tim Burton directs. It's weird. It's quirky. Uh, and there's this dinner party scene. Um, the house is haunted by ghosts. Uh, Beetlejuice is not happy. The ghosts want them out. Uh, shrimp cocktail fingers burst from yep. a plate. Is this in the script? Is it completely conceptualized in the script, or are you kind of playing around with things and trying to? No, that one was completely storyboarded and and in the script and everything beforehand. So we just kind of did it by the numbers. But here's the thing: it took four days to shoot that shot. Oh my god! And I was the hand that came out of the salad and pushes the big guy yes! over the table, right? So I got the nice close-ups, which was great. But the thing was, was do you remember the song they were playing? Uh. Is it the, uh, come Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana? So we did that, that sequence, we did it for four days. They only played a, about a 30 no. second long piece of, of that music <laughs> every take over and over for four days, eight hours or nine hours a day. So 
we had heard that little that little clip like thousands of times in four days and, and I was like so sick of like Deo, daylight coming, you want to throw up. And, you know, and, and so that was, we were so glad to be done with that scene. I'm sure that at some point where there are like a lot of earplugs on set, how do you get, like, when that happens, you obviously have to pay attention to it because there yeah, are cues you have to in there the for you. And stuff, yeah. Is crew running around with earplugs and trying to tune the song out, or do you just have to live with it? They're just living with it. Oh, yeah, boy, that yeah. is brutal. It's just, you know, just go with it and hopefully you'll get over it someday. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, let's go into Ghostbusters and Slimer. Ghostbusters. Okay, so. Correct me. Slimer is a combination puppet and early CGI or no early CGI. No, yeah. it's hundred percent a puppet in the original. Pu- what it was, what was, what we kind of faked is, is we shot uh, his name. He's the Slimer ghost. You know what his real name is? His no. real name is Onion Head. What? And he is the ghost of John Belushi. Um, because you know John had passed away, yeah. and of course all the people there were big friends. They were all friends, and so this was. The the puppeteers in the group, we all watched, uh, like we watched Animal House and we watched the food fight sequence. And we use that as our inspiration for, for the Slimer Ghost or for Onion Head. I have no Head. idea. That's such a touching yeah. tribute. And um, so I was, his, uh, I was his mouth operator. And so I would, I would, uh, we had, he had this big wire for his mouth and then this great big pole. So I would hide underneath him with this pole and operate his mouth. And then inside the suit or, or the cop, uh, costume was a, was a, uh, is a wonderful, uh, puppeteer lived right here in Burbank. His name is Mark Wilson. And so he was actually in the side of the suit with the, with the, uh, with the, the arms. arms. Yeah. And, and so he would grab the food, which was real food. It was real jello and real mashed potatoes <laughs> and real bread. And he would shove it into the Slimer's mouth and it would go through his body and end up on my face. <laughs> and, and so, but I, I mean, I had a face mask on, right? And all that stuff, which was fine. But, at the end of the day, we were all wearing uh, black puppeteer costumes, oh and every day my suit was just reeking with rotting food. And I would take it to the same same dry cleaners down in Marina <laughs> Del Rey, and like the first day, they're like, "Oh yeah, that's you know five dollars. We'll clean that for you." By the second month, they're like, "Oh, that's going to take like thirty five dollars to clean that." They did, the price just kept going up and up How and up and up. Shady, <laughs> come on, guys. <laughs> but, uh, guys um, gotta live. But How many puppets do you have for Slimer then? Because you're going to get messy and he, get involved in practical fun. Well, he would get wiped up, but he he actually consisted of 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 four puppets. Oh, um, there was the normal puppet that we see a lot, and then there was this this one puppet that was built specifically for a drinking scene. So his mouth is all like this, and, <laughs> and he comes out of like a hot dog cart, and he's drinking a yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah. That was just for that one shot, right? And then we had another uh, suit, uh, our puppet of the Slimer Ghost, where his mouth was deliberately sculpted way overextended. So it was like really huge open mouth so he could get those great big screaming scenes. And then um, one of the other tiny puppets we built, we built a puppet that was about this big. He looked like a little potato spud. And he's the little one that you see roaming around inside the chandeliers when they're inside that building. So. That's so, really cool. So that's those were the the. There was another little puppet too that was, uh, that we used, but uh, it was about the same size, a tiny little one. But yeah, that was that was the the. Oh, and we but we shot them all against black, right? Okay. And we kind of used it was kind of an old t- Hollywood technique where we shot him 
we he was very very overlit. We shot him at eighteen frames a second, so everything he did would look speeded up. Yeah, and, and a little uh, frenetic. And and then since he was shot on black, then they would just straight comp him onto film like a double exposure. Makes sense. So that would so that way he actually. You know, and he's going to look a little transparent just because he's double exposed. But that was the whole trick. Because he's a ghost. This is the whole gag. That's, oh, yeah, man. It was really clever. So many what they did. cool Hollywood tricks in such a short amount of time. You just said, that's really cool. Uh, Slimer is just the best. Let's, uh, we talked Beetlejuice. Don't want to do, yeah, let's do Batman Returns. And then we'll go into Jurassic Park and talk dinosaurs. Batman okay. Returns. <laughs> so we're both big Batman heads. I don't think yeah. that that's a, a shocker to anyone. When you get the call to work on Batman Returns, what what reaction? Well, that was a dream come true. Yeah. Because, you know, when I was, was six or seven years old, I was like the biggest... Uh, Batman fan of the 60s on television with... with uh, Batman 66, the classic. Yeah, yeah, with, with Adam West and Burt Ward as, as Batman and Robin. In fact, um, I had to go into the hospital... And I didn't even—I didn't know the hospital had television. I was only like four or five years yeah. old, right? And I had to go home. I insisted I have to get released from the hospital so I can go home and watch Batman on that one night. Yeah. And and they were like, "No, we can. You can. You'll be here." I was like, "Yeah, but I don't know if you get Batman on your televisions in the hospital. I have to go home." <laughs> and they actually actually let me go home so I could go watch. And they let me out of the hospital early so. I could go home and watch Batman. It's a good hospital. They understand the importance yeah, of Batman in yeah, a child's life. Exactly. Yeah, I, I grew up on Batman the Animated Series. And Such so, a wonderful show. And Kevin gosh. Conroy is the voice of Batman. You can't hear anyone yeah. else between him and... Um, oh, Mark Hamill. Yes, playing yeah, the, the voice of Joker. Yeah, was, I can't read Joker and not hear Mark Hamill's voice yeah. anymore when you're reading the comics. And it was so great that, that the two of them went ahead and did all the video games that, that Rocksteady did. That was just... That was just so much icing on the cake and just made those video games, you know. Yeah, the the storytelling in those games is is phenomenal. But when you get down to the voices and suddenly you're like, I'm playing the game. And they made a VR one, which I haven't yeah, played yet. Yeah, me neither. I but, want to, yeah. Ooh, it's high on the list of things <laughs> yep, to play. Yep. But you were on Batman Returns. You did the penguin scene? We did mechanical penguins, yeah. Oh, those were, things are so... Like, I was the, the perfect age for Batman Returns. Like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, why? It's kind of corny. But I really, even to this day, enjoy the aspects of it. Because it combines, like, a Batman 66 with the 90s-style, like, epic, muscled-out Batman. Yeah. And it brings those two worlds together, which, if you're a fan of Batman across any time span, you can really enjoy that. It works, um, yeah. Yeah, and the penguins are part of that glory. They, like, have uh, jetpacks on, and they're rocketing into space. Yeah. How does that scene come together? Is it the same way as before, where it was completely storyboarded and ready to go? It there was a, there was a lot of storyboards going on, but they were like just great great big group shots of these penguins, and so there was uh, a lot of that. Um, uh, we would get to the stage the day before, and we would dress the penguins into the set, and then they would like they, they would have the basic camera shots already, but we'd dress them, and then they would like change the shots a little bit. So but they were kind of locked in because. Um, uh, we had 30 penguin puppets, okay? Holy so we had 10, 10 penguin puppets of these three different sizes. Are these hand sides. puppets or are they, they were strings? fully controlled, um, uh, like animatronic heads and oh. necks and mouths that opens, wings that would flap. And then, Gosh. and since they were, um, and then we would, uh, drill holes into the ground and then you could uh, put a person under, underneath the ground, underneath the set to, uh, one on a backpack to move them around the other one to like walk with their little feet with little pigs wow. and their little rods uh, and so there were uh, 
uh, three different sizes. There were there were ten of these little uh, um, like ten inch Blackfoot penguins, and then there were uh, ten of these um, like twenty eight thirty inch penguins, which were called emperor penguins. They're the ones with the little orange eyes on. Yeah, is it? yeah, yeah. Emperor penguins, yeah. And then we had a couple of uh, uh, great big ones, which were little people inside suits um, that that we had, and. Um, and but we also had real penguins on that wow. set too. We had real amper penguins. And we had real blackfoot penguins. Wait, that kind of hit me, and then it hit me again. So, so we were somebody was on set directing penguins while puppeting was happening. Here's the cool that the. the um, yeah, so all these little penguins are like the little blackfoot penguins are evil and vicious. They they're they're just mean. Like in right? real life? Yeah, no, in real life, yeah. But no, and penguins are so like, cute. Like here's the thing we did, right? We shouldn't have done it, but we did. It's like a, a guy named Andy Schoenberg and I, we were we were in the two guys in charge of the the puppets. And we took one of our little tiny blackfoot penguins that was dressed on set, and we put a, a real um, herring in its mouth, which is what the little penguins were eating, right? <laughs> then a real blackfoot penguin came up to it and looked at it. He pecked his head um, and immediately broke his eye mechanism. Oh but God. then he stole the herring and ate the herring. But And then just to add measure, he, like, pecked the, the head again. But what he did is he ended up ripping off, like, half of the side of the oh face. My- and and then Andy and I felt really stupid because we spent <laughs> the rest of the day guys. fixing the head. But he was just vicious, right? <laughs> now the the bigger penguins, the empire penguins, the ones with the the the, the little orange uh, circles on their head, they're like golden retrievers. Aww. All they want you to do is come up to them and scratch them behind their little ear holes, and, and they're like, ah, oh, this is the best. <laughs> and, and I like those so, penguins better. <laughs> Sound adorable. Uh, uh, and one day, and they had ten of those. And, and one day, uh, after the sh- the shoot was over, the the penguin wrangler, this this really great doctor guy, he only had nine penguins in his his cage, where or where in the place where the where the penguins were, and one was gone. No. And it came back, and it turns out one of the penguins was cuddled up and sleeping with our penguin puppets on set. And it was so cute because he was just there leaning against, snuggled up against one of our puppets. And my whole heart is it breaking. It was really, really cool. That is so. beautiful. Uh, how many puppeteers did you have on that? Mm. I was huge. We had about 60 puppeteers. Jesus. What a production! Were you yeah. involved in coordinating them at all, or? Yeah, yeah, I was the. How? Was, there was um, about there were about four of us from Stan Winston's at the time that we were we were the onset supervisors. So we had two people, I believe, Karen Mason and Andy Sho- uh, Andy Schoenberg, who were the uh, the artistic coordinators and supervisors on our on our set, and then. Uh, myself and an, another really great guy. His name is Jeff Edwards. We were the mechanical coordinators on the show. Okay. Uh, and so the, the, between the four of us, we we all basically corralled the rest of those puppeteers. Um, Incredible. Uh, and, and they were amazing and professional people. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, the the woman that we hired or that Stan hired to to hire in addition to puppeteers she was just amazing and she'd done a lot of work previously in this business as well her, her name is mary claypool by the way wonderful lady so awesome <laughs> um yeah i mean i really like the scene with the penguins and i i never would have thought like 
60 people were involved in, in making that happen. Just in getting the, the puppets to move, yeah. not talking crew. What, what an enormous undertaking. Uh, for a little long time, so I want to switch into Jurassic Park mode, which has maybe the best puppets ever <laughs> uh, for things that aren't supposed to look like puppets. Like I, I like when there's... Uh, Stylized puppets that you know you can tell from far. You're like, right, oh, it's right. a puppet, and it, but it looks cool. It's doing a thing. People are still getting tripped up over Steven Spielberg and that Triceratops, where they're like, real dinosaur? What's happening? Is it perfectly reserved? What is going on? It's like yeah. mechanics and puppetry is what went into this. You did perhaps everyone's favorite one, the uh, Raptors yes. in the kitchen mm-hmm. scene. You told me before we started that you had a story, and I, I just have to admit I, I'm too eager to hear it. I'm very okay, excited. Okay, yeah, so here's the the okay. So a lot of the shots in, in the in the, the of the Raptors was just me with this big close up head. So yeah. it's just this big hand puppet, right? And, and uh, first off, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna dispel things by saying um, I used Kermit the Frog's voice for the Raptors <laughs> on set, so. Even though they were like these scary dinosaurs, they're like, "All right, everybody, I'm coming through the kitchen door now," <laughs> and and, uh, and so that that helped a little bit to keep you know. But even so, people look at and they come up and they go, "Can I touch it?" Oh my gosh! And, and, and it still had that great mystique to it. But anyway, the kitchen door scene, the little porthole window that the raptor looks through. Yeah, that was me and a hand puppet, right? Now, my favorite movie of all time is Alien, okay? Yeah. I love Alien. And in the end of Alien, when Sigourney Weaver is trying to escape the ship with Jonesy the cat and the little cat character, yeah, yeah. she comes around the corner and is face-to-face with the alien, right? But she drops Jonesy the cat in his carrier on the ground and she takes off. Thanks, Sigourney, said Jonesy. Right. And then, but there's this great shot of the alien looking in on the cat and twisting his head. And you can just right then and there, you can see the intelligence of that alien because he's just like, what? He's like doing this little quizzical thing, right? So I'm telling my other two puppeteers that are with me um, that, hey, I'm going to do this shot from Alien where we do the head twist thing and, and, you know, in the door. And they're going, okay, we're with you. And so... I get around to the front of the... I, I'm looking in through the window. I turn the raptor's head to look straight into the window, and I start twisting the head to do that that little alien bit, right? The little xenomorph thing. And some guy way in the back says, You're twisting the head! You're twisting the head! And then Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, yells out, It's just like Alien! I love it! Keep doing ah! it! And I'm ah! like, He gets it! Ah! He totally got it! Spielberg knows your movie reference from a tilt of the See, head! That's the difference. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, he totally got it. And he goes, that's just like Alien. Keep doing it. Like, I'm excited by proxy 20 years later for you. And, look, <laughs> like, and that's the shot that we see in the movie. Oh, so cool. Is that, that really great shot. The other thing I was always wondering is, is the the breath on the window, is that you or is that a mechanism That's inside a of the head? That's okay. a steam machine, yeah. Copy. Yeah. I wasn't yeah. sure. It was close enough that I was like, is maybe someone just using their own practical breath for it? It was but- like... Um, it looked fairly like like one of those industrial steamers for your carpets. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those, except like on steroids. I love it. So, uh, in our last ten minutes, I guess I'll just ask you uh, some random questions, just kind of covering a couple of things. Do you have a favorite puppet that you've helped create, and if so, which one is it, and why? Wow. Well, I th- I think the one some of the ones we just mentioned plus another one are my my all time favorites. Um, my my goal when I'm building puppets is to make uh, a puppeteer friendly puppet or a puppeteer that or a puppet that will actually 
do the action for you so that you're not fighting against it. Yeah. And in that respect, I think my best success so far was the Raptors on Jurassic Park. But um, a real close second behind those is the uh, the worms and tentacles from Tremors. Yeah, totally. That was a lot of fun. Those, okay, what are we looking at si- size range-wise on those? Because, you know, in watching the movie, they all seem gigantic. We had we had full-size ones, and we had, no. we had quarter-scale ones. Okay, so... So, let's so we hear had how like these gigantic ones... worms. Yeah, how are you? Are, is that fully mechanized? Is someone in the giant worm? Um, we had like when the worm comes out of the ground. That's that's like three people under the ground with it, that is and so, cool. so it's like two people are pushing the worm up through the hole, and then one person's on this gigantic joystick oh, operating it to move the head around like this, and and then there's a couple more guys on like these great big one arm bandits that are opening and closing its three mandibles for it. So. That is yeah. so cool. Awesome. Um, I wanted to ask you, when do you start getting into teaching? How does that happen? Um, well, I I kind of always wanted to be a not, – not, I didn't always want to be a teacher, but my wife and I had always talked about when, you know, I, I get up to be as old as I am now, <laughs> um, that, you know – that later on in my life, I think it would be fun to actually try to teach this stuff to yeah. people and, and to share all of that uh, 37 years that I've been doing this stuff. Uh, there's just a lot of little tips and tricks that you learn in all that time that you just you, and you just kind of want to share them. And and uh, so that was kind of the goal to always kind of like segue into teaching later in life if, if it and it was kind of a dream. It's just like this is never going to happen, you know. There's yeah. uh, because because you know it's it's just not. It's such a different world. And then I saw an, an ad for NIFA uh, a couple of years ago, and, and I applied, and I, I I got the job. So what's been uh, different from how you dreamed it would be? Have any uh, what, what I guess what kind of surprises have hit you as a teacher? What what happened that you weren't expecting? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> um, well, I yeah, that's that's a really good question. <laughs> you know, I, I, there there were like there were like nine surprises where where I found that you know all of my students became we became very much all of my students have become like family which is always really good i know they have a and the 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 animation department is a really nice close knit group and and we have a lot of fun yeah you guys do and 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 so yeah we're always giggling and laughing and and uh and i think that 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 rubs off into the students and they see that you know hey it's okay to have fun too but but um yeah no i think that was the 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 shock my my first day of teaching right like i i go uh and and um it's it's a it's for two and a half hours of teaching right and i go there and i start rattling all this stuff off about matte painting and stuff and i go blah 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 blah, blah. like and that's all i got for today and i realized i'd done all two and a half hours of my material and in 20 minutes oops 20 minutes and then i'm like well that's all i got today <laughs> were the students like that's so much information it's such a, a short time <laughs> yeah it was yeah so we like went back over it but we took it. a big long break it's <laughs> like it's always nice for a first class is to be like here's a bunch of information process it slowly ask yeah. questions come back it's helpful um you've worked with like 
outstanding directors. We, we mentioned I've been Spielberg, really lucky, yeah. uh, Tim Burton. Uh, um, oh, I'm blanking. James Cameron. That, yes, that is exactly. Yeah. What... Um, I want to ask you who's your favorite, but I know that that's kind of biased. So maybe I'll ask you, what did you learn from working with these guys? Um, the thing I worked with, the the thing I found in common with all of the really the best directors, which was, um, in, in my opinion, was like um, Steven Spielberg and Ron Howard and James Cameron, is that they they come into a movie with that. That movie is completely already done inside mm-hmm. their mind every single frame and camera angle for the most part is 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 made in their mind before they come to set we talked to Richard Thorne a little bit a while ago and he was talking about seeing the animatic for Jurassic Park before it came out and it's the first of its kind where it's like the whole movie and he talked about this kind of the VFX community kind of just stopping the tracks and being like my god think of the things we can do from here yeah and, and not only did we put it on on like uh, on breakdowns but we did we did all kinds of crazy stuff on Jurassic Park to prep for that um, so by the time we went into to actually do the movies, it was just like, okay, here's a shot. Everybody knows what it is. Let's go do it. And we were getting the, an unbelievable amount of setups per day. Wow. Uh, I mean, we were like one day we got 40 setups in one day. I mean, that's like working on like an old Roger Corman I'm movie saying. or something like that. Good uh, Lord. But we just, we did, we moved and, and Stephen, uh, he got uh, on the average on a lot of stuff. He got the got a good take on like take three or take four, and we moved on. Excellent. And and uh, so that was was really cool. But when you work for these directors, one one thing that's really nice, like for instance, when you work for James Cameron, he's got everything completely designed. He even goes and designs it on paper because he's an amazing artist as well. Yeah. So the great thing is, is that he comes to you as an effects artist and he says, I want you to do this and I, I needed to do this and this and this. And it's very, very specific. And so um, the fact that it is completely specific gives you um, – you're able to completely see his vision, so you're able to construct that vision. Whereas some of the lesser directors will come up to you and says, "Oh, I need a blue monster." And what else do you need besides a blue monster? I want him to have claws. And so you make a blue monster with claws, and you show it to that director, and they go, "It's not what I was looking for." And 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 go back and do this. And it's like, well, and then they'll say, "Oh, I'll know it when I see it." But then, no. but by that time, you've designed the monster like twenty times, and you've wasted a lot of time. Yeah. And and so that's 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 why I like working for like people like like Tim Burton and, mm. and Ron Underwood and Jim Cameron and, and and also Steven. They the the really good directors have already they've already got all of that figured out. So that by the time they get to the set. Um, it's, 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 it's by the numbers, but at the same time, they're not like, they're not locked into that, right? If they see something like, oh, look, here's a great shot and here's a great opportunity. They're certainly not afraid to to veer off the, off the track and go, let's go grab that shot. Yeah. My friend, um, my cinematographer friend, he refers to this as allowing for happy accidents. Exactly. When you come prepared, you know exactly what you're looking for. So you can allow, uh, creativity to come into it because not everyone is struggling. Don't be that director guys. who's like, I'll know it when I see it. There's nothing worse than wasting people's time. Um, these things take a long time already, uh, to put together when you have to guess on top of it, it's next to impossible. Um, what advice would you have to students looking to get involved, maybe especially to students, I would say, that haven't yet picked an Like, they're not sure if they're going to study, if they want to jump right in. If you're interested in getting into visual effects, special effects, or even puppeteering, what advice do you have to them? What advice do I have yeah. for them? 
Um, to I definitely um, invite them to like if, if they're interested in this stuff to to uh, first first um, if they want to do the stuff go on to YouTube mm-hmm. and go st- and look at the visual effects breakdowns they have of things now and and look and see because it's great now because you can go on YouTube and you can go hey how did they make that stuff on the Martian or Prometheus and you can go watch the the YouTube videos and you see exactly what. Each little separate element that they made that gets composited together and stuff like that. Um, so I would recommend doing that. I recommend if you're st- if you're a student, I'd recommend and, and like let's say you're a student and you want to get into 3D animation, right? I would say um, uh, um, use your student ID to to create a free account with Autodesk.com, the people who make Maya software, which is the the industry leading software for animating this stuff. Uh, and and you can create a, 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 um, a uh, an account with with Autodesk, and then you can download as a student. You can download their software for oh. free and use it. And then so I'd say you know get that, and then yeah. and then go straight to YouTube and start looking at tutorials, and, so and see if, right see in, if it's for you. Dirty. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. Um, if you're if you're doing creatures and stuff, um, pay attention to all your anatomy physiology classes in high school because that was. Uh, in high school, I knew I wanted to be a monster maker, and I realized that by learning uh, anatomy and physiology, all that stuff was actually just gonna was gonna benefit me. So my my whole approach to high school was like looking at a class and going, "How can this help me make monsters?" And then try and then just really reaching and trying to find even the the most obscure thing in that class that would help you know, hey, this will be handy in making monsters, and and just having that little bit of uh, uh, momentum or whatever it is would help me go through that class because I knew that I was going to be able to apply that to what I wanted to do. Excellent advice. So. Guys, thank you so much, Craig, for being here and for dispensing all of your amazing wisdom. Oh, and thank you for having me. It was great. Super fun stories. You're amazing. We're going to have to have you come back and maybe uh, we'll do a deep dive on one of your movies and really explore the, the little tidbits of how you got certain things done and how certain scenes were shot. Would love to. You've been on some amazing stuff. So thank you. Um, before we go, if I can get a single camera, we have a small error to correct. On uh, May the 4th, we did a Star Wars Day episode. Um, we had uh, mentioned one of our uh, graduates, Francesco Pensieri, uh, who did special effects. Uh, he worked on the feature Rogue One, not Star Wars Episode Seven. They came out close together. We got a little confused, so we're super sorry, Francisco. He worked on Rogue One. He did beautiful work. Definitely check it out if you haven't, but we wanted to make sure that that error was corrected, so thank you very much. Um, until next week, uh, we will be back here, 4 o'clock, next Thursday, doing a special Pride episode for Pride Month um, with a former, uh, with a current NYFA alumni who has made this incredible video dedicated to um, a friend of his. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about that when he's here because it's a really amazing piece. Pega will be back for that. Um, thank you guys so much for joining us for episode 21. Thank you again for Craig for being here with thank us tonight. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And we will see you guys next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.